what I shared with the first service was that back in the day, 100 years ago, Pat said it hadn't been that long, I was, I was a youth pastor at a big church in, in West Des Moines. You guys probably heard, many of you have been around long enough, you probably heard that. And um, as I mentioned to them at first service, it was the best of times and the worst of times being a youth pastor. I actually loved being a youth pastor because the truth of the matter is I am just a big kid myself and I love just being with kids. They give me, their youth um, feeds me, right? Um, but here's the deal. Even though I am nothing but a big kid, I'm not a kid. And I wasn't a kid back then when I was a youth pastor either. And I had to remember that because there were times when I, um, when I was like too cool for school. How's that for being really? <laughs> when I thought that, that I could convince them that I understood the lingo, you know, or um, that I understood what they were going through, when in reality, even though I, I was a teenager at one time, the truth of the matter is, every generation has their own stuff. And if you think you understand what, they're go- what the, our students are going through today, you're wrong. You don't know. And they know that you don't know. And if you try to play it off like you are something or, or you know some things that you don't know, they can sense it immediately. I, I mentioned at the first service a kind of a, um, an inarticulate way to describe it, but students... Young people have a very tuned BS meter. They know, right? They'll know whether you're being authentic or not. And, which is, which, and, and if, if you're not being authentic, if you're not being real with them, the, it can be brutal, especially for a youth pastor. So, Max, listen to what I know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, as we grow, as we um, mature into adulthood, it seems a lot of us, lose that fine-tuning, if you know what I mean. I, it seems to me that a lot of adults um, don't recognize inauthenticity as quickly as, as kids do. Or maybe we do, and we just play the game. That's what I fear. You, because it is the game, right? The game, if you're going to succeed in life, the game is that some, you just, sometimes you've got to do things that you don't want to do. Sometimes you've got to join groups or make, make acquaintances or friendships with people you don't even like, but you know it's good for your career, right? That's the game. And it's also very inauthentic. Now you may have noticed if you came, uh, as you came into church, if your guests are visitor with us, you may have noticed back there on the table, there's a, there's a, we, we have these t-shirts that we uh, encourage people to wear as a testimony. And on these t-shirts, it says, Simple, Authentic Jesus, right? It is, uh, we aspire in this church to be authentic, to be real. Um, and my hope is that when you come in, you see the authentic Jesus in us. And what I would say to you is that, that we, we're not perfect. We, we just try to be who we are in Christ. And um, I think people yearn for that. I think that's one of the reasons why, why um, our church has grown the way it has in the last six years is because I think people are yearning for authenticity and they don't get it very often in, the, in this world that we live in. Um, it, but there's nothing new, by the way. Did you know that? 
inauthenticity has been around forever. In fact, the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, um, Jesus found himself in an inauthentic circumstance. And Jesus, being God, uh, has, uh, is very aware. He can see inauthenticity from a mile away. And he did in this instance too. And he decides, when faced with inauthenticity, to teach a lesson on humility. And what I, what I aspire to do for you today is to unpack this lesson for you and to show you how um, authenticity and humility actually are intended to fit together like a hand in a glove. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Luke chapter 14. Um, and that's found on page 1038, I think, of your, of your uh, church Bibles, if that's what you're using. For it is here that we find our, our parable for today, and uh, which is known as the parable of the wedding feast. As you're looking that up, and I want you to, uh, don't, just, don't just listen, I want you to look it up, use your Bible, get familiar with it. Um, I'm going to give you a little context um, to what is going on today in our passage. What we will discern right from the very beginning, here at the very beginning of chapter 14, is that um, it was the Sabbath. And that's very important to remember because it's, it's pertinent to the story. It's a Sabbath. And Jesus has been invited to a dinner by a prominent religious figure uh, in town. Um, it's supposedly in His honor. And I say supposedly because the, the truth of the matter is, uh, most scholars would suggest, and I would agree to, with them, the truth of the matter is, um, there, this dinner, there was no honor involved in the invitation to this dinner. It was a setup. Um, this religious leader, most of the religious leaders of Jesus' day were not fond of him. And they were looking for every excuse that they could to try to discredit him, right? Not all of them, but most of them were. And in this instance, it seems that's exactly what was happening. And I'll show you what I mean. Uh, we've already determined that it's the Sabbath. That, remember, that's important. Second, that who, who else has been invited to this, to this dinner besides Jesus? We know from the story that there are some, a lot of other um, important religious leaders and want to be important religious leaders that have been invited to the dinner. But there's one other person that we know has been invited. It is a person who the Scripture, the story says, is suffering from a disease called dropsy. Now, I had no idea what dropsy was before this week. I looked it up and what I understand is that dropsy is a disease that causes your joints to swell which can be very debilitating and is painful. And anyway, that's what he was suffering from. And he, for some reason or another, was invited to, to the dinner party as well. And I would suggest to you that he was invited to the dinner as a plant, as a setup. You see, what they were hoping, what these supposedly religious uh, leaders were hoping would happen would that Jesus out of compassion, would break the Mosaic Law. Which, from their perspective, would have been for him to do work on the Sabbath. To heal somebody on the Sabbath. Right? 
Now, Jesus, being God, could recognize their inauthenticity, as I said, from a mile away. And he knew exactly what they were up to. So, he decides that he's going to teach them a lesson um, on humility. As he's watching all this, he, uh, he decides, I'm going to show you how authenticity and humility are meant to go together just like this. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 14, we're going to start at verse 7. Read it in your own Bible. I'll read it for you uh, as we're going along. So follow along. It says, Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor at the table. Now I'm going to stop right there for just a second. See, what was happening it was that um, they, everybody that was at this party, some were important people, some were wannabe important people. We talked about that earlier. And what they were doing is they were strategically trying to figure out how, where they were going to get to set at the table, how close to the head of the table they were going to get to set. Because the closer you were to the head of the table, to the host, would, would show how important you were, right? What kind of a big deal you were. And he saw these people, they were strategizing on where they were going to, you know, if I just, when they ring the dinner bell, I'm going to be close to, the, oh, you know, like, right? That's what the, was going on. He noticed that, right? So as he's noticing this, he tells them this. He says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you that has been invited, um, or the one who invited you comes to him, and he who invited you both will come and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So basically what he's saying is that if someone more distinguished or more important than you comes along and you've taken a seat higher than your social standing, you're going to have to get up and go to the last place, right? So we'll continue on. Go to the lowest place. But what, so, but instead, when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let me, um, let me pause there for just a second because um, when I was reading this parable this week, I had this uneasy feeling inside. Maybe you didn't, I don't know, but I had this uneasy feeling. It seemed anyway on the surface that Jesus was um, advocating for something that bothered me. And it felt like Jesus in this parable was advocating for false humility. You know, when he said, um, when, you, when you come in, um, choose the lowest place, right? So that when the, when the host comes, they'll say, oh, no, 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 you should be brought up. And then that way, right? Does that, does that feel? It, it feels to me like he's advocating for false humility. But listen to me. If you ever feel like that when you're reading the Scripture, if you ever feel something like that, presume that you're wrong because you are. Because Jesus is perfect and sinless. Never forget that. 
So if you're, if you're, if, if in your finite capacity as a human being, when you read something and you don't get it and it doesn't make sense to you, don't presume that God's the one that's wrong. Okay? You understand where I'm getting at? Because He's not. If you look real closely at what Jesus actually says in this parable, you'll notice something. You'll notice that He doesn't say take the lowest place at the table so that you might be exalted. You know what He really says? Look closely. He says take the lowest place at the table and you will be exalted. Now you're thinking, well, that's just semantics. No, it isn't. Because what Jesus is saying here is that humility, not false humility, but humility will lead to you being exalted. And not by a bunch of wannabe religious people either. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted, not by a bunch of religious people, but by God. Jesus is the most authentic, humble human being that ever lived. And I'm going to prove it to you. Who is Jesus? He's God, right? He's the creator of the universe, right? The creator of the universe humbled himself by leaving his throne in heaven to become one of us. Did he have to? Nope. He chose to. And he and when he left his throne in heaven to become one of us, he didn't come down as a king. Or he didn't even become, come down as part of one of those uh, uh, important religious families. He, he, became one of, he became one of us as one of the lowest, lowest of us. He was, came as a babe born in a barn to an unwed teenage mom, a teenage mom. Did he have to? No, he chose to. And then when, when he grew to be a man and began to manifest the very powers of the universe, and of course, when you start manifesting the very powers of the universe, the, 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 the rest of us human beings are going, I want to be in his circle, right? And so he became kind of like a rock star as he was manifesting these powers of the universe, right? But as he began to... Uh, accumulate this, this fame and this power and the authority, you know what he does? He um, institutes a concept that is as foreign to the world as an, if an alien ship were to, were to land right here in the midst of us. He institutes something when he has, every, he has the world at his fingertips, something called servant leadership. You ever heard of that? What is servant leadership? It is exactly what it sounds like. It is leading by serving. It is someone who serves, leads by serving others rather than having others serve them. 
right? One of the most um, blatant examples of servant leadership was at the Last Supper. You know, when we think of the Last Supper, what do we think of? We think of what we're going to do in just a little bit. We think about the, the, when Jesus instituted the sacrament of communion. And we should think about that on his, at his Last Supper, right? But there's something else that happened on his, at his Last Supper that we often forget. And I think we do it on purpose because it makes us uncomfortable. He demonstrated servant leadership to his disciples by doing what? He didn't just wash. He took off his outer garment, got down on his knees, and washed the feet of his servants, his disciples. And it freaked him out. You ever had your feet washed? It's icky. Isn't it, Deb? It's icky. That's a theological word. Look it up. And it's... But the culture we live in, I mean, it's icky for us because we don't do that, right? But they did it. But it wasn't the master of the house that did it. It was always the servant that did it for the master of the house. And it wasn't just the servant, it was the lowest of the servants that did it. And Jesus, the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, got down on his knees and he washed the feet of his servants. And listen to me now, because this is really, really important. I failed to say this at the first service, but this is a big deal. Remember when, when Peter said, no, Lord, you, you, I'm not he said, you must let me do this or you have no part of me. Now, why is that important? Because there, uh, there are a lot of, uh, when I look at a lot of you, I see good people who love to serve and your problem isn't that you want to, uh, that you want others to serve you. Your problem is you don't want others you, you, you want to serve others. You don't want to let others serve you. Well, that's part of the deal. Authentic humility is realizing that you're not too good. That others can't serve you too. The greatest example of authentic humility of servant leadership was when Jesus died on the cross though, Right? He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He didn't have to because it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his sin. He's not the one that sinned. You were the one that sinned. I was the one that sinned. But he chose to do it. Authentic humility. You see, we make the mistake of believing that humility is synonymous with weakness. That is 100 degrees out of phase. Humility, true humility is power under control. I have the power, Jesus has the power, to do whatever He wants. But He chooses to serve you and to authentically humble Himself in such a way so that you might understand that you are called to serve 
others. Not because you have to. Not because you're weak. Not because that's your place in society. But because your place in society is the king of kings, is a child of the king. A child of the king of kings. Who authentically humbled himself to serve you. And if he, it was good enough for him, it's good enough for you. Hallelujah. You see, if we were really live that way, Ev, if, if the church would really live like, it would change everything, wouldn't it? it? So, as you prepare to come forward to receive communion this morning, I want to ask you, how are you doing with this authentic humility thing? Because as a child of the King, you have power. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to reflect Jesus? Or are you going to reflect you? It was 2,000 years ago. And um, there was a party going on in Jerusalem. A lot of parties going on in this today. Talking about today. They were um, celebrating what was known as the Passover, right? Uh, we all know this story like the back of our hands, right? And so the disciples thought they did too. They knew what was going on. They, they were gonna, and part of the, the, the celebration was to participate in this thing called the Seder meal. And again, they knew everything. They had done it a thousand times, just like you've done this a thousand times. Jesus being the rabbi was the one that was hosting the party. They knew exactly what was supposed to happen but it didn't happen that way. Because at one point, Jesus took the bread that was there as part of the Seder meal and He he lifted it to God, He blessed it, and then He broke it. And then He turned to His friends and He said, now take and eat, for this is My body broken for you. What we know, they didn't at the time, all they knew was that this isn't the way it was supposed to go. What we know is that he was prophesying that his body would be broken, right? And he said to them, he said, take and eat, for this is my body, broken for you. So every time you eat from the bread, he instituted the sacrament of communion as a reminder to us that we would regularly remember what he has done for us. And that in What he did, he also called. He called us. Remember, every time you eat from the bread, remember that you are the body of Christ. He was saying to all who would submit to him as Lord throughout the ages, Remember, you are the body of Christ. You are His hands, His feet, His eyes, His ears, His voice in the world. Remember that. You are called to be Jesus to the world. You are called to be Jesus to the world. Remember. After the meal, He took the cup. He lifted it to God. He blessed it. And then He said, take and drink, for this is the cup of a new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Again, he was prophesying. Because he knew what his servants, his disciples, were going to be thinking in just a few short hours and a few short days. 
They were going to remember that he had called them to be his hands and feet in the world, but they were going to know that they were sinners and that they had already failed him. Before they even left that room that night, wheels were put into motion where they were going to fail him, right? They were going to walk away from him, and some of them would deny him, even knowing him. So he said to them as part of the the Seder meal that night, he said, this is the cup of a new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. He was trying to say to them, I'm I'm washing you of your sins. You are not worthy of this calling. You're not even capable of this calling unless you be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And once you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, um, you become capable, not because you are, but because He is, right? You understand that? You can do this if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Only if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Remember. I'm going to invite our communion stewards forward, and as they're doing that, I'll share a few things with you. I would say to all of you that this sacrament that Jesus has called us to um, is important. It's sacred. This isn't just... Um, hey, used to be, there's scripture that talked about some people when they got together to receive the love feast or the sacrament, they would, they would do it because they were hungry. Don't do that. Don't, don't cheapen this, this experience by making it anything less than what it is. And this is, this is God calling us to remember our calling. And if, you, if you've not accepted Him as Lord and Savior, do you have a calling? See, that's the only one that has that, that gets to make that choice is you. You and God. No, I don't make that choice. So you're all invited. But come because it is a beautiful and powerful and sacred calling for no other reason but that.